Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On today's show, episode two, I'm going old school with a bunch of friends of mine from the Wayback Machine. I'm talking 1985, 6, 7, middle school, high school. We're going to throw back like no one's ever done before. We're going Staten Island. We're going to the mall. We're going to all the Gen X therapy we could possibly need. And we hope you enjoy. Have a listen. What was your favorite store at the Staten Island Mall? Oh, my God. Spencer. Uh, Archie Jacobson. <laughs> Obviously. What did you order at Farrell's? <laughs> the Farrell. vanilla Coke. Oh, my God. Farrell's? Yeah. Remember that place? Matt Do I remember? with a spoon. Hello. Biorhythm machine. That's all Roland Roaster was where you went <gasps> when you couldn't get a table. <laughs> Roland Roaster used to be in the mall. Or if you wanted to see a lady in the plaza. Fun fact, that- I was in the Roll and Roaster commercials that they made for cable. <laughs> Did you really? I was, because Elena worked there. Elena Moy. Oh my God, yeah. throwback. Anybody know what happened to her? She's, I think she married an Australian. She lives in Australia. She's got a few kids. I've as talked to her I brother know. in recent years, but she's kind of low profile on Kelvin? social media. No, uh, Kelvin. Kelvin, yeah. my God, remember the names. Yeah. This is my Staten Island show, folks. I'm here with some totally old school friends that I've known for, uh, I think, a collective 60 years or 80 years at this point now. Karen, you're always Karen Salt because I don't know how many people grow up with their friends and actually start using their married name. So Karen Marinelli. I use both. Yes. Salvatore, you are you are with partner, but you are still Salvatore Diana. Yes. I don't expect you will ever not be Salvatore. Diana. I'll always be at least nay Diana. And I remember, so Elora Nanos Kish, but I remember, this may not be true. You once told me that your real name is Elora Felicity Economos Nanos. Um, is that accurate? So I don't know why I know no, that. No, it's not exactly accurate. I, I was um, Jessica for one day. Oh, really? Yes. Then I was Elvira. Um, that I remember. Yes. I don't know why. And Felicity is, in, I, you forgot Christine. And then oh, Felicity yes. is my confirmation name. Okay. The e- okay. Economos is not my last name, but it is a last name in my family. Okay. As is Canalopoulos, Constantinopoulos, <laughs> and any other opolises you got. <laughs> How long did that take you to write in first grade? It was a long fucking time. <laughs> Listen, but I was really just busy hiding from the attendance person who would get to my name and just look with consternation. No one has my plight, which was always inverting my name. So everyone was always Diana Sal. asking where was Diana Salvatore. Ah, Can I tell you Imagine something? their surprise. I have a cousin whose name is Diana Salvatore. How about that? I that need to so meet random. without a Greek last name too. What? Without a Greek last name. Yes, she's on the other side of the family. Okay. Yeah. For me, it was always the Dr. Pepper jokes. Why? Salt. It doesn't make any sense. People would be like, oh, oh you're Karen Salt. Are you married to Dr. Pepper? I'm like, that does not make <laughs> any a- sense. No. That is Sorry, a terrible joke. Or the, 
I'm a pepper, she's a pepper, you're a pepper. Oh, you're a salt. Wow, I'll trade in my nano nano right there. Yeah. <laughs> that is really stupid. You threw in a Mork and Nitty reference. Good for you. You know, I don't mind the jokes. I, I more minded the pickup lines. Because if I had a dollar for everyone that said, are you very alluring? And I was like, oh, God. Yeah, oh, go to hell. Like, that is pretty so, bad. It's really bad. Really bad. Also tour Laura Laura a lot. A lot, a lot of Irish. But how many people always thought you were just Laura? That's fine. I tell E-Laura. people that. I okay. tell people that. It's fine. Because you know what? We're not intimate. I don't need to tell you my real name. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> like, how far is this really going? I mean, is it really necessary? Is this really relevant to the I think being named Karen in 2020, though, trumps everything. Yeah, because we're Karens now. We're Karens. It was, okay, a, Karen. it was a, just a boring, basic name until about 2019. And now, now it's, it's an insult. Bad. Like, we need oh Gen X therapy. Like, we, yeah. we're not Karens. What the hell's Karen? I don't yeah. know how You're that's Karen. even fair. That's real. I didn't even think of that. And it's that is incredibly unfortunate. First of all, we weren't talking it's, to anybody. People just decided to single us out. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, you guys were fighting amongst Gen yourselves. Xers, you could, not yeah. doing that. Yeah. We're Gen over Xers here in the, the corner. The original opt-outers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're over here in the corner listening to better music, working our That's asses right. off, trying to keep it all together. Clearly. My uh, my dad taught me really well, and, and here's to Lou. We're kind of, we may or may not be drinking on the air, but here's to Lou Greenswag, because he taught me that currency, the real currency in life is friendships and relationships that matter. And, and I tell people... To this day, that I have this cadre of like. You say cadre? Cabal? Panoply? <laughs> Panoply? Cornucopia? Penumbra? <laughs> of um, Umbria? I don't know. <laughs> A crash of rhinos. <laughs> of like 20 really close family level friends from uh, even grade school, junior high, and high school. And, and I, I've yet to meet someone outside of the people that you are that have that level of relationships dating back that far. And there's such a, I take pride in that. I wake up every day and I just know that we can rely on each other at any given moment. Maybe not a kidney kind of relying on each other every moment, but this is what matters to me. And and we stick with each other and we're still here and we have so much in common. a, thank you for tolerating me, but also I would assume it's the same. It's well, the Matt, same I think we have to say that you're a big reason why we're still, you're yeah, kind oh of the gosh, glue. Yes. Oh my gosh. For, yeah. No, Matt is way more than the glue. Matt is a hundred. He is the catalyst. Matt is always there to put us together, to keep us together, and it's like without reservation. It's without keeping track of anything. He's yep. just like, this is what I add to this. I keep everybody going, and I mean that's a really important thing. Without expectation. Without like expectation. Yeah. Awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit this in post production. It, it 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 that means a lot. It matters to me, and and I don't. I don't see relationships as mandatory two-way streets because the two-way street is always implied. You tend to know when that other street isn't there anymore, and I never felt it with anybody that I keep in close touch with. And again, every time we're Sal and I in meetings, and when you got your job at your agency, like everything has always been in full support. You were even on the board of Stupid Cancer for a couple of years. That's how much you must like me. Sometimes I forget that happened. I know, and I remember. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it really matters to me. And especially you are amongst the, the small group of people that remember life before stupid cancer, life before why it even needed to exist. And back when we were in marching band at band camp with hair and awkwardness and sticker books and polyester uniforms and vinyl shoes. I wasn't awkward. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> keeper. What was awkward TM. back then? Yes. Tottenville High We've, School. We had our fallouts here and there, but like family, they don't matter in the long run. No, it is. It's it is the long game. 
if you don't fight, how do you know that you have a relationship, right? It's all about just learning to accept each other because that's what matters. You know, in, in, in some ways, I find myself now as an adult when I when I have friendships and I'm, I'm looking to maintain and solidify those friendships. And most of the time that I spend together with my friends is social time, you know, and that's great. And I love the social time. But it's not the same as friends that you've worked on a real project with, that you've really put in serious work side by side with. And I think there's no substitute for that. You know, you write a musical with somebody, it's always going to be a different relationship than someone that you're having coffee with. Something like that is like having a baby with someone. Though. Yeah. Because you, when you create something with somebody, there's, there's no substitute for that. If you create art with somebody, all the better. And isn't it interesting? We all became friends through making music together. Yeah. Very true. Year after year, rehearsals, band camps, <laughs> so many concerts, hours. hours. Parades like up Fifth Avenue. And it's the great equalizer, isn't it? You know, um, performing and music really is, is an equalizer of all people because it doesn't matter what you brought into the room or onto the stage before you were there. It matters what you give once you get there. And it's, to me, always been the ultimate test of balancing who you are as an individual with who you are as part of a team. Because to make music, you must be able to do both things. You must be able to shine when it's your turn. You must be able to turn the spotlight over when it's not. And that's the essence of friendship. I think there's something too about knowing each other from literally being children, because I see my own teenagers going through it now. You can't necessarily rely on other kids to have it all together. But somehow we've all known each other as kids and we've somehow managed to transition those friendships to adulthood where you can rely on each other in a way that you can rely on mature people. But as kids, you're all kind of screwed up and you're all figuring it out and you're all kind of messing each other up along the way. And you're all angry about something, whether or not you're justified to have it. So <laughs> self-centered. Oh and somehow we thought we were the only ones that were still trying to figure things out. Right. Not now, our age, realizing guess what? The ones that we're teaching us were also trying to figure things out. Well, it's like when, when, when you're like 25 and you think you know everything, then you're 30 and you realize how stupid you are at 25 and then you're 35 and how stupid you are at 30. Now we're 45 and how stupid you are at 35. It, it is ideally a never-ending learning curve that we have to go back for. But I, the, the, the struggling for a word here. Word recall. Aphasia? Aphasia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Welcome. The, the retro act, the retroness, the throwback shit. Like how we can remember. I tell people all the time in the, like, what's one thing we don't know about you? And I say, I marched down Main Street in Disney World two years in a row in high school with a marching band. And they're like, who does that? Right? That's something we can own. That's something to go back to and remember the magic music days. Music. That was our tribe. And that doesn't even acknowledge the 24-hour bus ride both ways. Both True. ways. South of the border. South yeah. South of the border. I don't at think, 5 a.m. Oh, you know, I always think of um, marching in the ticker tape parade, welcoming the troops back from Iraq. That was incredible. That, an incredible it was thanks. really an incredible yeah. experience. Do you remember the Verrazano? I think it must have probably been, been the 25th anniversary. We marched across the Verrazano. We marched across the Verrazano while it was closed. That's right, before, before they renamed it or respelled it. Respelled it. Right. right. Two Z's. It. With the right uh, name. Two N's, one Z. Oops. Nothing could be more Staten Island than Oopsie. that. Oopsie. <laughs> Yeah, we did Thanksgiving Day Parade. We saw the balloons. We started at 72nd Street. Like, we saw all the back. Just I re Disney alone 
to be backstage and seeing the people putting on the costumes, the shit that you're not supposed to see. Yes. We yeah. saw that. But you know what I always think of actually, and it's interesting, I find myself talking about it a lot now because I have you know a son in high school and I live now in the suburbs outside of New York City. And I've learned that um, our experience as high school musicians was actually really unusual because our school as a public high school the way it funded its music department was not by selling raffles and getting fundraisers, but it was by pimping out the band that they would send us as a marching band to welcome dignitaries, to do the Puerto Rican Day Parade, the Israeli Day Parade, the West Indian Day Parade, the right. Philippine Day Parade, the Norwegian Day Parade, like all of that stuff. We were fee for service funded. We were fee for service. And I, I didn't know that until later, but that's really unusual. I just learned that right now. Yeah, me too. If it's, you were this many years old, when it's you a found little it fucked up. I'm not gonna lie, but child labor. It was, <laughs> but it was exploitation. Kind of a, it was kind of a cool thing because doing those events, I thought, really was very interesting. Like we learned how to be professional performers, where they were like, "Listen, it's the Philippine Day Parade. You're gonna learn traditional music. You're gonna show up. You're gonna play it. You're not gonna ask questions. You're gonna go back." And I don't know. That was cool. Other other groups don't get to do that. No, no. I mean, we exactly. We got to be exposed to so many different cultures yeah. at a very young age through music. Right. That's, it was like the ultimate New York City experience to do that. Like that's not There's happening in the suburbs. There's a lot about our high school experience that I didn't understand was unusual until much later. <laughs> yeah. Tottenville itself <laughs> was later. a very unusual school. Just being built, you know, the, the city, because it used to be um, on like Yetman Avenue in the way south and like you had no idea where it was. And then the city commissioned a full square mile of Staten Island to be like this giant. It's a mile. It's, it's a compound. It's, a comp- it's massive. When I tell people we went to high school with like we, my graduate class was like 1,800 and we had 4,000. Like what? I had nine people in third grade. Like we, we underestimate the gravity of what the culture of that school was like in the 80s and 90s. Well, especially if you were one of the few people that actually went to school and studied and expected to actually I suppose. learn anything. There was a bell curve. Uh, I'm not sure it was a <laughs> bell. Did you guys know, until before you were adults, did you know that other high schools didn't have security guards, like arms? No. Well, that's a, the other thing that we couldn't leave. Yeah. We couldn't we get leave arrested. during the day. Right. Yeah. And if you left, you couldn't come back. Right. Well, it's funny. So now I have a high schooler. And I remember going to back to school night where the principal addressed the parents and the thing, you know, the principal's talking about all the different clubs and opportunities and the academics and all the great things to do. And there was not one mention of getting in trouble. Whereas I remember so vividly, yeah. everything was about getting in trouble. And the worst thing you could do was walk out the front door. Yeah. It was like a SWAT team would come and grab you and throw you in a van. My kids have no concept of truancy police. No concept. Cop in a box, no concept. Right. That's right. The cop in a box like, and circled, circled the, the whole school all day. And it, I find it really relevant now, though, because now there's so many discussions about having police in schools and some people are really vehemently for it and others are really vehemently against it. And my own feelings on the topic are so colored by saying, I don't know, I always had police in school. There's yeah. not police in school. I always had police in school. And it wasn't really like a thing. It was just that's the way school is. Um and now I realize, like, oh, because I'm an urban kid. Right, right. <laughs> I didn't know I was urban. I'm, I found out later in life that I'm both urban and ethnic. Because in Staten Island, you are the suburbs of the city. You don't Yeah, realize, but you're still the city, though. But you're still the city. Yeah. Unless Jersey kids. So when you were in elementary school, I remember there was a whole secession movement. And they, <gasps> they came to my yeah. public school numerous times, like second, third, fourth grade, for like a day of 
Like we have a special guest talking about se- secession. In elementary your, school? In elementary school, like third, fourth, fifth grade. People came to PS 54 where I was at. And I, because I- again, They're trying I have, to cultivate future voters. I, like- I still have, I have friends from those classes that remember the secession, secession propaganda, succession, the secession propaganda people coming in. We're going to secede from the city, and Jersey's going to take us over. Yeah, that that's House to Allen Mayor. There's right another now. movement that brewing. Yes, yeah, I'm sure there is. Yeah, Jersey wouldn't know what the fuck. To and do it's not Staten the Ferris Island wheel. Are we do? Are we doing the Ferris wheel or are we the Ferris wheel? Is Ferris wheel's gone. Yeah. No more Ferris. They wheel. killed the Ferris wheel. Oh, that's done. I know it's too bad because that was a good idea. It really Agreed. was a good idea. It we, was. Our own London Eye, but you know, but I mean, I, there's got to be a reason to come over. Right Brand. now, right now, the reason is Italian ices. So, like, I Ralph's mean, that's a good reason. No, it or is Zinino's a good reason, but Ralph's. people don't know. People don't know about like what they don't even know. They're, they're, I mean, you should see the shit people are eating in South Jersey. Right, calling Italian ice. They don't even call them Italian ices. You've like Uncle Louis down there or something? Or not no? even. Not even. We have Rita's, and every flavor tastes the same. So bad. Ugh. Like nothing. Well, it's there's just colors. Shout out to Ralph's color. Ices, by the way. Oh. Not a sponsor, but anyway, I don't care. Shout out to Ralph's Ices. And you know what? And Danino's. So, and Danino's. Let, let me say this about Ralph's Ices. Ralph's Ices is a franchise. And um, my cousin my cousin owns a franchise. They were the most lovely people ever. I, I negotiated the deal. Great people to have to have a deal with. They we were, should open up a Ralph's franchise. Hey, we wanted to do it when we, when we lived in Georgia, but they didn't have the distribution no, network yet. No, because their distribution is on the Turnpike, Exit 7. Mm-hmm. But there's still a massive line. Frozen products. And this mm-hmm. is how you know you've transitioned to New Jersey because you're talking, talking in exits. <laughs> I haven't really fully talking transitioned. Talking in exits. I haven't yeah. had the surgery to fully get to Jersey yet. <laughs> I love the, the idea of the expatriated Staten Islander who has take- an appreciation for what life was like when there were only 300,000 people on the island, not 600,000 people on the island. It only took you 20 minutes to get to the bridge and not an hour to get to the bridge. Yeah, now it's Brooklyn. Now it, it might as well <laughs> now be Brooklyn. Now Staten is Brooklyn. And it has the only mall in America that's growing. So kudos to whatever is causing that to happen. That and the American dream. Have you been there yet? Oh, that's the one by the Meadowlands, right? The giant it is. thing. Is that they... the one with the got skiing inside the mall? It's got indoor skiing. So it's it's like... got a water park. It's got It's like a Dubai coasters. playland next to MetLife Stadium. It's There's like Mall of America that. on Route 3. Bigger. Pretty much, wow. yeah. Isn't it like 80 bucks just to walk on the door? I heard parking's 40 Right. Yeah. It's like an entrance fee to a mall and That's parking terrifying. just to I think even it's show up and shop. It's free on non-game days, but then it's, yeah, it's like 40 bucks to park on game it's days. It's crazy. Like I took my kids to iFly for the first time. And I'm they, going they loved soon. It. Yeah, it's we talked so about. Is that our next fun. activity? Our next activity. We're going to broadcast so live from iFly, and it's so expensive for a kid for like one minute. Yeah. But yeah. the experience is worth it. I can't see spending that amount of money, even for four hours in a mall, to spend more money. That experience changed me from someone who said never to skydiving to. I am someday. I am totally skydiving. I'm going to wait until I don't have any minors who are dependent on me. But I am <laughs> skydiving before I die. So here's my issue with skydiving, because I, I know that I would love coming down. I I love anything like that. I love any kind of flying. I love adventure stuff. I went uh, ziplining over Niagara Falls. It was great. My my concern about skydiving is that when I'm in the plane getting ready to go do it, I'm afraid that I'll be so nervous. That the anxiety of being in the plane will like overtake the fun of coming down. So that's my. So I think maybe some. Maybe we should go together. I'll push you. Yeah, yeah I promise. Because <laughs> that's I love. 
I can That's get real into that friendship. Shit. I'll push you out of the because at this point, it's I'm, like the equivalent of I'll hold your hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, I'm 45, and like I'm like whatever it is, I'm like ready to do it. Yeah. Like bring it on. Bring it. Like it's net whatever it is. It's not exciting enough. Whatever it is, I want to do it twice. Honestly, skydiving is not on one of the things. Because Even after iFly? No, I, I mean, iFly is safe. You, there's no gravity. You're physically being pushed upward. It's a different, there's, there's always no gravity. Nausea. Well, the gravity is what, fine. We're gonna, Neil deGrasse Tyson, not here tonight, folks, to <laughs> confirm or deny. No, Mr. Peterson. Burning my name there for a second. Well, <laughs> gravity. I, I feel like, so having worked in, in advocacy and cancer, like the word prevention comes up all the time. Prevent cancer, prevent this. And I'm on the record of saying the only thing you could really prevent is dying from skydiving just don't get on the plane and you're guaranteed not to die from a skydiving accident same with pet ownership you can prevent pet ownership by just not getting a pet <laughs> but nothing else is truly preventable nothing else nothing, nothing else. and i can think of loopholes to both of those situations i'm sure you could yeah like if i get abducted and wind up on a plane without a parachute well what if you're on the ground and the skydiver falls on you you know what see this is the logic what I if lack. Cruella Deville drops a basket of Dalmatians on your doorstep. <laughs> what if the uh, yeah? What if the uh, the, uh, the the what are those called when they puppies? No, no, no. <laughs> mill? Not, no, not the mill. The good ones where they, they breeders, the shelters, the shelters, rescue, right? rescue, the rescue, rescue. Words, right? If the rescue unit. This is the aphasia show. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on right now. Brought to you by I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, do you douche? <laughs> True story. I went to college with Todd Massingill. <laughs> no, no, no. And this is my question. Why would he if, be a Wesleyan? This is when you keep your last name. Why? Okay. <laughs> why, if you have a douche company, would you name it after your family's last name? <laughs> like, why? someone to come up with anything. Like, refresh. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's terrible. It's His terrible. name was Todd Massengill. Yes, called That's... him douche boy. <laughs> of course oh. you did. How could you not? That's terrible. You have to edit that out. <laughs> no. Yeah, because they didn't. He's going to sue us now for defamation yes, of character. Try they didn't contract that song. You know, wrap, wrapped up like a douche. Right? That's what right, I'm right, saying, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. But that's not it. it. But that's not the word. Because it's no, it's, it's, it's a deuce revved up like a deuce. Yes, but that's a whole the elocution like, is yeah. a little off. I don't there. understand right. that at all because the change in the lyrics actually doesn't make any sense. Blinded right. by the light, revved up like a deuce. It's supposed to be cut not loose like a deuce, but it's revved up like a deuce. You're right. Right. The real lyric is cut loose like a deuce, and then Springsteen and what's what's the other group? They just changed it. Right. Uh, yeah, but the, which it sounds but like, like everybody you're, you're always with a in the middle of the night, right? Yes. Favorite wrong heard lyrics, like you know, excuse me while I kiss this guy. Uh huh. My sister's and my this... my favorite is, <laughs> you know, in End of the Innocence, this tired old man that we elected king. Yeah, and she thought it was this tired old man with the electric cane. <laughs> <laughs> also, he must be tired if he needs yeah. an electric cane. But all, my all time favorite is, don't deny me this cross I bear. My sister was convinced. <laughs> And it was, don't deny me, this cross-eyed bear. <laughs> and, and in her, wait, and she had a whole backstory that went with it, that there was a couple, and they had a special needs child. <laughs> my husband likes to sing, custody. Oh my hold God. me closer, Tony Danza. Tony Danza. Oh. Is that a known one? That is a known one. My wife, Jessica, does that too. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. I love nice. that. And also the song, Cruel Summer. 
was always for me cruel silence for some reason. What? I don't know why. Wait, it's a cruel silence. No, <laughs> I don't. I, no, I was, I'm not with you on that. And Jess is like, no, that's not it. How are you, you? By thinking that. No, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but the misheard lyrics section of our show is now complete. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's important to talk Sorry. about how, you know, we all have our, you know, cross to bears. I'll just. Our cross-eyed bear. We all have our cross-eyed bear. <laughs> and, you know, we all enter this shit happen store in our lives. If you don't, God bless you. I, I have a, a friend who once lost a relative that was very old. And she said, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. And like, you're 40. And that's the worst thing that ever happened to me. I didn't say that. I thought that. But it's not a contest. But at the same time, here we are enduring yeah. shit we didn't ask for. And I say, like, trying to live with style to an extent. And, you know, we're going to do another show on this because in the I'm, I'm moving into the chronic. This is not an unfamiliar show. People are going to find out about this, but I'm moving into the chronic disease space and the rare disease space and things like, you know, Franklin is Elora's son and he has narcolepsy and cataplexy and Karen's son, Kai, uh, has had type one diabetes. And what does that really mean to be a, a millennial aging millennial Gen Xer parent that's now having to deal with? 2020 digital health tech social political theater and making sure we can do this in a way that ensures what we need to get done it's such a different world in the cancer space 20 years ago you just kind of died and today you have to live with it but there are communities that have been living with it longer than cancer has been a chronic disease so what does that look like and and i know we're going to mention we're going to do another show but karen i'd love you to just What's it been like for you and Vic, your husband, to to raise a, a type one child in twenty in the year in the twenty tens? I feel like we're very lucky. I mean, first of all, we're lucky that insulin exists. It's not a hundred years old yet. So I feel like a century ago my kid wouldn't be here. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Even in just the last ten or twenty years, the technology that makes his day to day life easier, hour by hour, and makes all of our lives easier is amazing. I think that it's one of those diseases that's incredibly invisible. From the outside, he just looks like a kid. He's living life. He's having a good time. And that's what we want for him. We don't want him to be thinking about diabetes every second. But on the inside, you are thinking about diabetes every second. You're thinking about what is his blood sugar doing, um, if he's upset, if he's about to go do something normal like play Little League, if he if he's going to go in the shower. I mean, I've got an he's nine he's independent he wants to just go take a shower when he wants to take a shower but someone else has to be close by and you have to check his sugar first and you have to be a little things like that just aware all the time and it, it doesn't sleep and the 24 7 aspect really it creates a lot of caregiver burnout right caregiver burnout is a common thread amongst all but it's hard enough to raise a kid that's well that isn't living with a systemic issue that you have to constantly live with, let alone don't be a helicopter mom, give him independence, have him grow up to be, you know, a self, well, yeah, self-sufficient individual. You, While they've got this major thing hanging over them, you want them just to have the same life that every other kid has. And you don't want them thinking about all of the things all of the time that we're thinking about taking care of them. So I think the show we can do, and, and this there's so many common themes with what I've been working on for the last 15 years, is the life hacks. It's not about the doctor or the clinical per se. It's how do you endure? What have you done? And there are so many Facebook groups and Twitter chats that are all full of asshole, shitty, conspiracy pieces of shit. 
that who self-corrects that and how do you know where credible information is and where are the 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 ardent mommy bloggers that are I'll just edit the pause out. The mommy bloggers that are the the go-to, you know, we say patient leaders out there, but you're really survivalists in a way to protect your children. So Laura Franklin was how old when he started showing symptoms? Well, I mean, my son had symptoms really from the time he was an infant. But um, at at that time, nobody really listened to me. I, I talked to many doctors and I always said, I just don't think his sleeping is normal. And I got a lot of, well, ba- this is the way babies are. This is the way children are. Um, and it, it didn't really present to be a, a real full-blown disorder until he was about eight. But that's very, very early. Uh, most people, if you have narcolepsy, you're generally born with it. But most people don't show symptoms until they're teens. So eight was really early. And um, my son was diagnosed almost entirely because I insisted on it. Um, you know, I, I knew something was up. Um, he had gotten lots of misdiagnoses for this and that and the other thing. And then he got, you know, clean bills of health. And um, and I could just tell that something was off. So I insisted we do lots of studies until we finally found an answer. And I was actually very grateful for the answer. Um, and and for me, it, you know, narcolepsy, while, while it's a rare illness and it's incredibly debilitating, it's also not as frightening as some other illnesses. It's not as frightening, for example, as diabetes is because... It doesn't have that kind of acute danger. It's not something that will creep up on somebody. It doesn't cause uh, an attack. It's not life-threatening. In fact, narcoleptics tend to have longer lifespans. So it's missing some hallmarks of other diseases that make them so frightening. Um, and so I'm, I, you know, I'm grateful. I, I mean, I wish my son didn't have anything. But if he, you know, you have to endure something. Hmm. I'm glad that it's not anything that is so terrible. But at the same time, it is very complicated to manage because we don't get the sympathy that someone with a sort of more serious illness might have. We don't get the support. We don't have Facebook groups. Um, No one's ever heard of it. No one knows what it is. There aren't public service announcements. There's stigma. There would be stigma if anybody even knew about it. Um, And then when they do find out that it's something, you know, you get stigma that's not even attached to narcolepsy. You get stigma that's attached to epilepsy or Parkinson's disease or things that people are a little bit more familiar with. Um, We get a lot of jokes, you know, because the only way that narcolepsy is ever in the mainstream media or pop culture is usually in like comedy movies. Um, And it's not exactly accurate. So everybody thinks they understand and they also think it's okay to make jokes and it's like really not okay because it's a giant pain in the ass. And it has a huge impact on your day-to-day life. Huge. And what's interesting to me is it has a very similar impact in some ways as a disease like um, MS might. Uh, It's not the same, but it's similar in a lot of ways. And no one would ever joke about a kid that had MS. I would never, that's not something I would ever hear. Something might, but that's about it. (laughs) But I mean, generally, that's not something. (laughs) If you told somebody, I have a kid and my kid has MS, you would get like the look, like the grave look, right? right? But I tell people my kid has narcolepsy and they immediately laugh and make a joke. That's like 99% of the time. That's that's terrible. Well, it's not... It's not, you know, I, I take is it, it as human a nature, like you, you chalk no, it up. No, I mean because I, I think most people are kind-hearted. I think is it most just people that they just don't understand it and they yeah, just they, can't because, kind of wrap their heads around. And most people, their understanding of it comes from movies where they think it just means that somebody falls down, which it's, also, by the way, isn't funny. It's like but, the diabetes on a plate jokes, though. When someone has like you know yes. a piece of cake, and it's like 
it's funny until it's your life. And then mm-hmm. you've got a kid who's maybe like four or five or eight. Yeah. And you know their day to day life and you know their struggles. And, and it's, it's like not so funny. At it. So you yeah. guys are kind of on the opposite sides of the spectrum. You it have is. Like yeah. one condition where people really don't understand it. So and they, one that everybody thinks they, they understand. understand right. one, yeah. yeah. And, and I, in either way, like it's not a contest, right? right. So like either Never. way, it's difficult. Yep. Um, and either way, it doesn't matter because we all have stuff. Right. We mm-hmm. all have stuff. You know, like there are people who have diseases or people who are poor. There are people who have no families. Like there's people, the human condition is to struggle. It is. It's so, I mean, it's, it's not a contest. And, mm-hmm. and what it is, is, you know, about just giving to the people around you, which goes back to what Matt said earlier, which is this is why we have friends because the relationships are what we trade on. And there's something to be said for believing people when they tell you what their lives are like. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And listening. listening. And not, and not responding with what your own life is like. Not judging, not competing. You know, I I read an article recently that was really interesting to me about how, why it is that people tend to respond to hearing about hardship with telling you their own hardship. You know, you say, I don't feel well, and somebody says, well, I don't feel well too. And that it's about the the automatic impulse to empathize, that you want to empathize and tell someone, I understand what you're going through. Is, is that the, I have cancer? Oh, my grandpa died from cancer. Yeah, that, right. that is what it it's is. It's our it's need a, to identify. It, yeah. and, and you and need, don't tell me that. Right. <laughs> you don't tell me that. But the thing is, your need to empathize is about you. And it's not what the other person needs. So it doesn't come from a bad place. It comes from a very good place. But it's still not useful for the person that it's needs it. It's still about you and not the person. It's still about you yeah. and not the person. So Sal, you're a specimen with no problems. I always said <laughs> Sal was a specimen. <laughs> Ooh. But you, better every you, year too. You He's got ninety nine problems. <laughs> but you you have a, a a wonderful career in the health media space, and you've seen over fifteen years tremendous trends in messaging and language and the approach to reach people out there. And how do we talk to doctors? Do you have a sense? Because you you are creative director at FCB, right? That's a very important position to be because you you messaging is all you have have you seen specific trends across the years on is there a different way of sensitivity are we talking to communities that are in need of certain drugs or treatments or messaging in a way that's a little less i don't know oblique i think not surprisingly because we live in this information age where you can get as much information as you want it's not really for lack of, it's more of really trying to curate it. So I think, you know, for, for both of you, you know, Karen and Laura, like I'm sure both of you do your own research. It's just really trying to figure out what is legitimate, what is, you know, credible and what can you trust? Obviously you speak with your doctors and so you take that into account, but I think anybody who has a child or is suffering from a condition you know, you are going to be more empowered in terms of asking questions, finding out more information, not necessarily trusting every source. And I think, you know, obviously we work with um, companies that um, have products in many of these spaces. So what they're really trying to do is just help support those decisions and help people make the best decisions possible. I think, however, that, you know, taking into account all of the information that we have, um, it's still not quite enough because to your point, you do have a lot of stigma uh, associated with a lot of these conditions and you do have 
to balance you know the needs of what does this person actually need it's not a one size fits all and i think that's kind of the space where you have this mass production of information and it's really about figuring out what's best for the individual and supporting individual decisions and i'll punt to to karen and allure on this because one of the words that keeps coming up over time is be your own advocate right and i think that's just a nice thing to say but th there's a again there, this is where there is a bell curve because Elora, you've always been this you know precocious take no shit person from the day one it's very and you're a lawyer so it's very self-evident that when shit happens to you you're going to be right in front out of the gate demanding what you want and immediately you know karen you are not prepared obviously to be a type one mom but you have a certain sense of take no shit what was it like to just become the advocate you didn't know you could be or need be i think surprisingly i was already on the advocacy trail because i'd been a mom for a while you know i i think by the time well, kai was three right he was four, four but my oldest kid was 13 at the time and you and can't be a mom without being an advocate absolutely period. it's not possible it's and i think that was one thing that you know that me and my husband and my mother and a lot of people who are trained caregivers said over and over again is how do people who who aren't advocates do this there's so much that goes into it and there's so much that you have to stay on top of and be ahead of that i honestly don't understand how people who don't already have like what do you do if you're you know an 18 year old who's in between that summer in between college and high school and you get your diagnosis like how does a person that's that young who's just on the cusp of really being an adult and has no experience with advocating for themselves how do they manage something like that that is just so massive and such um has such critical minute-to-minute -minute implications and requires so much knowledge and not just even of your medical condition but of how the insurance system works and how the financial aspects are going to impact you and how do you deal with pharmacies closing on a friday night and not having your medication till a monday and unfortunately there are a lot of young people to this day who are dying on a regular basis because they don't have access to the medication they need when they need it um and it, it's there are a lot of state laws that are changing that are allowing emergency medications to be filled for a couple of days to get people through without prescriptions and things like that. But it's only happened because people have died when they really didn't need to. Right. One of the things that, that just makes me think, <clears throat> sorry, one of the things that I always ask specialists um, when I see them for my son is, you know, I have, I have wonderful doctors and I'm so grateful for them. And they've educated me so much but there have been so many times that i've said to them at the end of our appointment what do you do doctor if the person on the other end of this conversation is it me if the person on the other end of this conversation isn't a native english speaker isn't intelligent isn't educated isn't dedicated doesn't have the time to be here what do you do and um and i ask that because i want i really want to understand because i know that these doctors really care about the patients in their care and and I when I've said to them, what do you do when the other person isn't me? Um, they've usually said to me, it's really hard. It's really hard when the when the parent or the caregiver isn't educated, and I can't send them a link to a study, and I can't explain to them, you know, the the risks, the known risks, and the unknown risks, and that really impacts the way that I feel about healthcare generally, because I always take that with me to say. God, like, I know how hard this is for me, but I have a lot of skills that are highly relevant 
to, to dealing with this. Yeah. I'm, I'm a professional You're the advocate. You're of advocacy. <laughs> so for, for both of you, do you got do you come to your physicians with information and ideas, or like I mean, I'm 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 gonna Sal, assume. Do you want the answer to that? <laughs> so before I go to our doctor's appointments, I send my doctors a PowerPoint presentation. I make them. Of course you do. Do you present it to them? Or no, I make them read it before PDF I get there. Form? Yes. PowerPoint Please prepare I, your questions in advance. I do. I make them read ahead of time so that when I get there, they already know what I'm going to say. I give them a list That's of things. That's a life that, hack and a half. Oh my God. I give them a list of things that they are permitted to discuss in front of my children and things that they must discuss with me when the children are out of the room. And I get there and I won't go to the appointment unless I know that they've reviewed it. And then. Wow. I've never heard that, but that makes so much sense. I don't fuck around. Yeah. Because I'm not, mm -hmm. listen, doctors are people, right? And I'm not going to expect them to hear my information, process it, spit it out, think about everything they need to think about and give me an answer on the spot. It's not fair. It wouldn't be fair if somebody asked me for legal advice that way. It's not fair for me to ask for medical advice that way. But when I give them some time to prep, so I, I, I have a profile that I update every single time we go to a you know, and it's everything from social health, emotional health, developmental health, how we're doing in school, how we're doing at home. And I just update it each time and I have them review it ahead of time so that they already know we start the appointment already being productive. And I mean, you, they say that they appreciate it. I don't know if they really do. Right. Um, but fuck it. I pay like 300 bucks to go to these, mm -hmm. these appointments. Like they can do their work. It's fine. Is it a fair... So we're going to do another show with another friend of mine from the old days and she is a MD PhD at NYU her husband is an MD PhD runs radiation oncology it's a and lot of letters it's a lot of acronyms and letters and whatever but this idea of what is the real burden of being a genuine practicing oncologist rheumatologist pulmonologist primary care doctor in 2020 when you have a patient coming in and you're, you're not like a 70 year old you know old I mean nothing against the 70 year old doctors but when if you're not in the old school established medical school in the 50s and 60s kind of person out there medical school in the 90s and 2000s is vastly different and you're just in practice in 2020 what's that like what is the burden of having to know everything and then get yeah, you have a patient that does have to work for you is that good or bad there's such a huge range i've had such a tremendous variety and experience of some doctors I've worked with are some of the most impressive human beings I've known in my life, and others barely seem to qualify for the role that they've got. It's, of course, they're just people. They're just people. Yeah. And so do you find yourself, you know, in some of the situations where you're not satisfied with the answer you've gotten? Do you oh, absolutely. And there have been times where I've been really impressed with the doctors, but they're part of such a large practice, and you're you're inserted into this machine that you can't get the individualized care that you need. And so we've left practices because of that machine sort of mentality. But I've also been really, really lucky to have experiences where, you know, the team that we collaborate now for my son's diabetes and the team I collaborate with for my own medical history with ulcerative colitis, I feel like are some of the, the brightest in their fields. And I feel so lucky to have access to their knowledge and their compassion and their experience. Yeah, I mean, that, that ties into everything. Uh, we're going to wrap in a minute, but the, the theme here is what good is all the fancy stuff in the world that can help you if you don't have access to it? And yes, there's plenty of privilege in certain parts of this country. If you're white, if you're male, if you're, whatever it is, where you leave your zip code determines 
how well you and your family live. Yep. And until that gets resolved, which is its own series of 50,000 different podcasts out there, you know, this is the reality. But at the end of the day, I, I live and breathe by this, this, the jargon is called peer-to-peer health. What it really means is that relationships that matter to you drive who you identify as and drive the support that you get, give, and need. I mean, the, the truth is healthcare is no different than life, right? Than the rest of life. That the people you're going to rely on and that are gonna matter to you are going to be the people that you choose to have in your life. And the better they are, the better they can support you, and the more compassion and love that they have for you, the better everything is gonna be. And that everything can be your career, can be your family life, can be your illness, can be an illness that you're advocating for. I mean, it really comes down to who do you have around you? Is your inner circle the right inner circle? And in that regard, healthcare is no different than anything else, right? Like you're gonna get your information from the people you love and trust. You're gonna get your support from those people, whether the support is about something professional, something medical, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that the people around you listen to you, you know, you surround yourself with the right people. Well said. All right, well, on this episode of Gen X Therapy meets Staten Island meets Bandcamp. Bandcamp. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you've enjoyed this show. Uh, There'll be more of these. Uh, So, uh, Karen, salt, pepper. No, don't do that to her. (laughs) (laughs) Karen Marinelli, Sal Deanna, Ilora Nanos, my best friends. Thank you so much. Love you, Matt. Happy to be here. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. The executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our managing producer is Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Matthew Zachary. Matthew Zachary is our sound engineer. Thanks to Constance Showquist, Sarah Kottenhoff at Podsites, Jen Horanjeff at Savvy Co-op, David Goldstein at We Go Health, Broth Media, and Mirrorball Agency for production support. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and never miss a new episode. Help us grow by giving us a like and a review wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow Offscript Media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. To advertise on our platform and for all media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Share your comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations by emailing contact at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.